Welcome back to When Bad Things Happen to Good People. This is a podcast about censorship and the arts. My name's Todd Sullivan. My compatriot is Oren Barter. Hey. And today we are continuing our look at The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood. On, I'll on get some crunching, hand. yeah. Uh, I feel like you should put a little bit of crunching in the in the podcast. Maybe, yeah. Just a little bit. Well, I mean, you haven't you haven't listened to it yet, but um, I did include your your super loud slurp uh, <laughs> at the beginning of the last episode. I kept that in because it was just it timed nicely. Like it was right right before I actually got the introduction out, so it was like I'll keep this in because. <laughs> <laughs> or in making loud slurping noises is almost like um, it's part one of our trade. It's canon, marks, right? It's canon. Yeah, it's canon exactly. Uh, welcome back to uh, checking this book out, Oren. Yeah, I gotta say, um, I feel bad about the way I slagging on it last yeah, night. Yeah, um, I think I was just like <laughs> in a bad place yeah. emotionally when I started reading it, and something just like stuck out, and I couldn't let it go, and I just. I was reading the whole book, or those those seventeen chapters anyway. Through, um, it was very angry. Yeah, red lens, exactly. So I I, I apologize to uh, the Margaret Atwood fans, which is probably like you know the large majority of the reading population. Yeah, and maybe to Margaret Atwood as well. She, I, I think she can take care of herself. You think she can take? I, care I of think herself? so. Okay. I don't think. My opinion means anything to her, but I, I am loving. I'm loving it now. Yeah, this uh, these last hundred pages, I think, have been uh, particularly interesting. We've we've had an opportunity to kind of uh, get some actual glimpses at, uh, like, more significant, actual significant glimpses of what had happened in the past to kind of steer the world in this direction. There's still a lot of vagaries and things needing to be explored, but. Um, we have gotten some information. There was one... I should have looked this up first. Give me a second. Are we going to talk about what we're drinking? Yeah, we could do that. What are you drinking? <laughs> I'm eating my alcohol today. Um, I haven't... Good part I, of a complete breakfast. <laughs> exactly. I haven't bought any alcohol for a while. So, uh, I remember on the um, Battle Royale episode, I was drinking the last of the tequila. And we bought the mm. tequila because we made tequila freezies. So that's where you take regular freezies, you cut them open, you pour tequila in them, and then you sear them shut with a uh, hair straightener, which is actually okay. super cool. And uh, so this is the very last one, and I'm going to enjoy that for the podcast. So if you hear crunching and slurping, that's just me having a good the time. The being his usual crunchy, <laughs> slurpy self. And I've got, uh, as, as is the case when we're recording on a weekend... I've got uh, coffee with a little bit of Bailey's in it. Nice. Um, I've been I've been working through a few different uh, Irish cream flavors. Most recently, I had the Nanaimo Bar Irish cream from Forty Creek, which was spectacularly good. Uh, and then I discovered they um, my local liquor store had a sale on red velvet cupcake ba- Bailey's. Oh, that sounds so 
freaking delicious. It's pretty good. Yeah, I picked that up uh, yesterday when okay. I thought we were going to be recording. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to talk a little bit about some news very briefly before we get into this, because it is, I think, somewhat relevant to the conversation around The Handmaid's Tale and to a larger extent around, you know, female bodily autonomy. Mm-hmm. Um as I think we mentioned last time, one of the reasons that we wanted to talk about this book was because there are, I think, legitimate concerns in the U.S. about the the future of, you know, women's rights to control their bodies, um, specifically in regards to, like, Roe versus Wade, uh, with the, 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 the now kind of conservative supermajority on the U.S. Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. And I know that a lot of people have kind of looked at those, at some of those concerns and kind of poo-pooed them and said like, you know, no, that's never going to happen. They're never going to, they're never going to turn back Roe v. Wade. Um, You guys are just panicking about nothing. Now I know it's a different country and um, obviously the way that they do things will be different, but there have been massive protests um, this last week or more. Uh, in Poland, because Poland, which I believe already had some of the strictest abortion laws around, mm-hmm. uh, has now taken a step further to ban just about all abortions. Um, now, there used to be, I believe, um, cases where, like, if it was a, if you were raped, if the mother's life was in jeopardy, and if the 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 fetus was essentially non-viable like it wouldn't survive those were cases literally the only cases where you could get an abortion and and they've i believe they've wiped all of those out really so even so though even if, so even yeah if there the woman's be, health is in danger she could lose her life she is not allowed to yeah wow even if you're going to give birth to that child and it's going to come out dead. You have to carry it to term. That's hard on a, that's hard on a woman. That's horrifying. That's, yeah. That's not just hard. That's like, no, I mean like the actual, like physically it's, it's, it's hard. And then, Oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then on top of that, like, and you would know too, wouldn't you? Or she would probably know. You'd think. Yeah. Because I mean, they would still be doing those tests. Wow. Right? That's unreal. But then maybe, maybe, you know, as we see, you know, later in the book, maybe we'll see um, them just not bothering to do those tests because it doesn't, if you can't have the abortion anyway, it's irrelevant. Right. But does it matter if you know whether it's going to be healthy or not? Anyway, I bring that up mostly just to say, um, clearly the erosion of, of, of women's rights is a possibility. Mm-hmm. If other countries are doing it, it could certainly rear its ugly head in uh, the United States. And there is there is a pretty rabid faction of people who are uh, opposed to abortion and uh, and want to put a stop to it. So, so now that we've had an opportunity to talk about the dystopia that's going on in Poland right now, let's um, let's dig into this fictional dystopia, which. It does manage to be slightly worse than what's going on in Poland. So that's that's props to Poland for not quite matching the dystopia of The Handmaid's Tale yet. Yeah, way to way to go! You guys are making great strides <laughs> in being complete and utter douchebags. 
Um, so this week we are covering chapters 18 through 30, um, which includes part seven, night, part eight, birthday, part nine, night, part 10, soul scrolls, and part nine, night. Uh, as we discussed last time, it is structured, uh, the book is structured in a way so that like every other section is, it's, it's, you have a section about, um, of Fred kind of very isolated and, and her thoughts and her memories and things like that. And then it's, it's countered with the next section being, um, with of Fred out and about and interacting with people. There's still memories and things like that, but it's it's more those memories seem to generally be about other people as well and sort of this back and forth and it's an intentional structure that Margaret Atwood used and that's why we have so many sections called things like night or last time we had a nap picking up from where we left off last time um though I guess the last thing we talked about was the fact that uh Nick had a, had a, encountered her in the middle of the night and said that he wants to see you mm-hmm. um and we had some disagreement on who that he might be. Like, I mean, I just assumed it was the it was the commander. And you were right. I was. You were right. But I was kind of um, hoping I was wrong because after you sold it, I was like, "Yeah, mysterious somebody else." <laughs> You're like, "This would be the great time to introduce." It could have been a character. fun twist. Yeah. But I think I mean we're we'll get to that when we when we get to that part of the story. But yeah, I wanted to acknowledge that you you were correct in your in your guess there, and I I utterly failed. Oh, I think you're being a little uh, extreme. so in chapter 18 in night um she's sort of lying in bed and she's she's feeling alone and she finds herself wishing that someone else was there with her and and kind of goes through this part memory part dream process of imagining i guess it is more a, a dream because she's imagining what might have happened to luke yeah like she she has these these different versions of luke that exist in her head the Luke that escaped, the Luke that's in prison, and the Luke that's dead. Yeah. And I found it really interesting in this section, and it does come up again, um, her emphasis on clothing, right? The different version of Luke is always wearing different clothing. And clothing has kind of been like a pretty pretty big, um, prominent piece of storytelling in this whole thing. Like, it starts out describing the handmaid's dress and all that. Right. So I found it interesting that when she talks about him in prison, you know, he's, he's dirty and he's barefoot. Yeah. When she pictures him dead, he's wearing his nice jacket and his work boots. And when she pictures him escape, like that he escaped and he found some nice people and he was cold, they gave him a nice warm jacket. A lot of things tie to the clothing found that interesting well clothing seems very much to be you know an indicator of your station in this world exactly you can tell a handmaid by what they're wearing you can tell a martha by what they're wearing i imagine you can probably tell a commander by what he's wearing and you know the same with the angels and the same with the the guardians (laughs) yeah guardians yeah um so yeah it's not surprising that that she's seeing those different um and it is an interesting detail though that margaret atwood would decide to like emphasize that in those sections to maybe draw attention to the fact that clothing is sort of really important in defining who people are in this world. And also I think defining their comfort level too, right? Like if, mm-hmm. if you wear, if it's cold and you're wearing a nice jacket, you're more comfortable. Um, like it, it has a utility to it as well. Right. Not just a, not just a status symbol, but 
also you can tell how comfortable somebody is in a situation based on their clothes. Like I'll just jump ahead because yeah, I, totally. Yeah, because I'll just jump ahead a little a little bit here uh, to the next chapter. Just something I wanted to to bring up. She talks about how she imagines her daughter as well. And she imagines her in her small green nightgown with a sunflower mm-hmm. on the front and her feet bare. And I found it interesting that contrast but when she imagines her daughter, you know, carefree, happy, healthy. She pictures her with bare feet. And the bare feet in that instance means freedom and youth youthfulness. And when she pictures Luke in prison, he she pictures him barefoot as well. But in that case, it means, you know... He has no control over his situation. His feet are dirty and cold. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I just, I found that interesting, that contrast there. And I think what we get from this too is this, we we know now for sure that um, of Fred and Luke were separated when they, you know, while they were running through the field there. Like right. there's, there's a memory of, of, of Fred uh, running through the field with her daughter and them being separated. And I think, there was, she heard gunshots behind them, which she thinks might've been, you know, directed at Luke. Mm-hmm. But the point is that they end up separated in that field and she doesn't and she know. has no yeah. way of knowing yeah, what happened to him uh, or her daughter for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty much all we get from night. Uh, then we hit to birthday, which covers chapters 19 to 23. Um, this is, this is sort of a, a, a big, it's it's really narratively interesting, but it's also a chance to get a, a, a deep glimpse into some of what's going on in this world. Um, well, she which, is summoned. Which chapter did you jump? I had quite a few notes in chapter nineteen. Okay, the, we're we're starting with chapter nineteen. Right oh, here. okay. <laughs> I thought you jumped. See what I what I've done, and this this is this is where we might be different. Like I, the chapters are so short that I'm taking notes more or less based on. The part. So I've got oh, notes about okay. part eight birthday that aren't really broken down into specific chapter bits. Okay. Um, but certainly um, it, you want to start. We, let's, let's have you start on chapter 19. Okay. I just, there was quite a bit of, like I got a note here about how she might, she thinks that maybe she's just living in a delusion and, and the reality that she's in isn't real. And it's almost like she would wish that more than she'd wish to just be crazy than to actually be in the situation. And um, it talks a lot about how like life has become so boring and minimalist for her that anything can bring her joy. Like to look at the egg gives me intense pleasure was a a sentence that she said to herself. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Like the amount of, of, description on the surface of that egg in the morning was just like astounding um so i think she's like the boredom is really getting to her where anything kind of becomes something for her well and it seems like yeah she's in a world very much run by routines right Mm -hmm. like on a certain day you go to the market you meet your friend you, you come back you know once a month it's time for the fucking um no, 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 the ceremony, like the ceremony. Well, the ceremony and then also the fucking. <laughs> right. They're separate I, things. I, are they separate things? I thought the fucking was part of the ceremony. I mean, <laughs> they're done in two different rooms. Oh, okay, that's true. That's true. I think if you have to if you have to change rooms, you've officially started a, <laughs> a new process. Okay. 
I don't know. <laughs> oh, and in chapter 19, we also came across the birthmobile. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She gets summoned to the birthmobile. We find out what a birthmobile is. And Not nearly as terrifying as we thought it was. No, it's it's basically just like a, a taxi to bring all of the handmaids to a birth to help in the process of birthing. It's quite um, quite nice, in fact. It was interesting to hear that all the handmaids were in the room and, you know, like the otherwise were there to support the wife. And then the doctors were just like tucked away in the corner of the property in a van. Just in case, just in case they were yeah. needed. Yeah. Totally different than, than the reality here. Right. Yeah. But again, like that speaks to um, the larger picture of what's going on in that world. Mm-hmm. Speaking about doctors, um, you know, we also find out in this chapter what unbabies are. Mm-hmm. They're basically mutated children that can't live. Um, and oh, or are they mutated children who they don't want them to live? Um, I mean, that could be too, which is kind um, of which is I kind think, of like I found that interesting because, like, an unbaby is a baby born with like a snout or some defect or born without arms. Yeah, they're basically born without, um, with like some kind of a physical defect, but um, which, with all the, which happens. Sorry, well, it's important though that that this happens without anyone knowing to expect it because they don't do any tests anymore. Yeah. But I also found it interesting that they're so against um, abortion, right? And the removing of life. But then if this life isn't exactly how they wanted it, then it is unlife in their eyes, right? They justify Mm -hmm. it because that's not a baby. That's an unbaby. That is not a human baby. There's something off with it, right? Yeah. I hadn't sort of made that connection about like unba- I like when I read it, I assumed that we were saying or that they were saying that unbabies just didn't survive. But well, that was it one, is entirely uh, possible that, was one that it goes that one step unbaby. further. Yeah, right. But to, to take it that one step further and say that like you know not only that, but here's a physically deformed baby that potentially could survive, but we're gonna like put a pillow over its face um, to get rid of it because we're not interested in having something like that. Yeah. And with the, you know, decline in birth rates, that's, that's a pretty extreme, um, extreme sentiment really. Yeah. You know, they're, it's, they're not only worried about giving birth, but they're, they want the ideal birth. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, we also learned about the, um, the birthing chair, which is allows, the wives to become sort of a part of the birth in the same way that the wives are part of the uh, impregnating. Um, the birthing chair, basically, the the, mm. the handmaid handmaid sits in the sort of the lower part of the chair to give birth. The mother or the wife sits slightly above her with the the handmaid laying back into her arms and that sort of thing. And they kind of you know they they give birth together in this weird kind of ritualistic way that isn't all, at all strange or creepy. It's totally strange. It's the same way that they have sex to get pregnant. Yeah, right. Um, I just want to jump back for a second here. I do have a note here mm-hmm. about um, the unbabies. Um, okay, sure. And or or something else, an unbaby with a pinhead or a snout like a dog, or two bodies or a hole in its heart. Which, I mean, a lot of those probably would be still births, I think. Um, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know. But um, Or no arms, which I can't see would be a stillbirth. Um, and this one really struck with me. Or webbed hands and feet. That's a very common birth defect. And it doesn't affect you at all. 
and they would still be considered an unbaby. So yeah. I think their criteria is pretty extreme. Yeah, seems like it. Sorry, I what you were talking about? Uh, oh yeah, the weird birthing. Yeah, yeah, the birthing chair. Well, the other thing, the other thing I got thinking about though, speaking of the um, uh, the birth defects, was like, are how many how many pregnancies are being done through handmaids, and how many are being done through wives? Like, do wives mm-hmm. ever get pregnant? Because I I feel like if a wife got pregnant, they would want to have, um, you know, the prenatal tests. Right. They would want to have proper medical care from the doctors in advance. Um, are those things happening if the wives are, or, and again, the book isn't entirely clear on this. Do wives just never get pregnant? Like, it was my assumption that the handmaids were there for if the wife couldn't conceive. Mm-hmm. But is it, do they just go straight to the handmaids anyway? I don't, I haven't been able to sort of figure that out. Well, Serena Joy, for sure, I think, is past her ability to have children. And in, in yeah, okay, she's that's described, true. right? Like, she would be po- yeah. postmenopausal and and all that. <clears throat> but maybe, you know, there, guess- there's a certain amount of danger that comes with childbirth, too. Maybe some wives just don't want to put themselves in that situation. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And with the case of, you know, you having to be at a certain uh, societal standing, you have to be a a, a, a commander before. Well, I guess when you're a, an angel, you can get a wife and a commander is when you can get a handmaid. Mm-hmm. But again, yeah, like we were saying before, like by the time you're able to actually marry, you might be so old that conception isn't, likely or 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 feasible right but then again this has only been going on for a few years so there is a moment um when of fred is is working uh to help at the birth where there's this quick exchange uh, of dialogue between her and another handmaid um this mm-hmm. other handmaid asks her if she is looking for anyone um and of fred says she's looking for moira uh, but this other woman hasn't heard anything about her but it's that it's a very quick flash of there being kind of an underground communications channel between these handmaids mm-hmm. that that doesn't occur very often because they're not able to sort of meet in a in an isolated environment like this very often. Um, but when it happens, there is some um, there is some exchange of information and wine. They got their hands on a bottle and of wine. wine. Yeah, yeah. There was uh, there was wine snuck in in uh, grape juice. Do you have anything else to say about the birth? Because my next note is about her going home in the birth moment. Yeah, I got I got one little note here um, just about um, Janine and how she pictures her staring out the window, breathes, breathes in and out, caresses her swollen breast, thinks of nothing. Um, and uh, she almost envies her, I think, and Janine's ability to just be completely ignorant and kind of exist in this world and and find some level of happiness in this world that she is unable mm-hmm. to do uh, because she can't help but think. She can't help but remember. Um, and it kind of like, you know, the intelligence creates sadness in certain situations kind of a thing, right? And then I'll tie into that later on at the end, the very end of these chapters, I've got a point I'd like to make, but I'm not going to... I'm not gonna jump that far ahead. Okay, sure. Yeah. Um, Alfred returns home in the birthmobile, um, 
and then goes to rest because I guess helping someone give birth naturally can be quite an exhausting experience. And while she's resting, we are treated to another memory, uh, this time of how Moira escaped from where the um, the handmaids were being trained. And it bugs me because I remember um, of Fred gave the location a name. It was something like the Red the Red School or something like that. But I I can't remember what she called it, and I, I it bugs me that I didn't write it down so that I could actually refer to it by that. But I'm gonna I'm gonna call it the Red School. Just. That, that'll be our headcanon for okay, it. Okay, yeah, I, I we actually can't get another remember. reference I, to it. I can't remember what it's called either. So basically, the way Moira gets out is at one point she uh, she has to go to the bathroom, uh, and when she's in the bathroom, she pulls out part of the, um, the the flushing mechanism from the back of a toilet. It's metal, and I, I got the feeling that this is something she'd been working on for a little while, like able to get it sharp enough that she could like use it as a weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, she basically comes out and pokes it in the ribs of the woman who is guarding her and says, um, getting the fuck out of here and, and does. Yeah. She ties, ties her up and, and throws on her clothes and yep. assumes the, assumes the position of somebody who knows what the fuck they're doing. Stroll, walks right out the front door. Right out the front door. Yeah. Yeah. Which is pretty bold and pretty impressive. And now we have yet another character whose fate is unknown to us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I I don't think we're going to see Moira or Luke again. Um, I think this is the sort of world where, like, even if you do manage to escape, you don't escape for very long. It seems like it, yeah. But it would be interesting to see if either of these characters um, arrive again. And that takes us to the next meeting between Alfred and the... Oh, no, not the, the next, the first. This is the first time they meet. Okay, uh, I would like to cut in just a little bit before that. And I just want to mention something that I think was, uh, you know, possibly bannable. Um, something that was pretty jarring. Uh, I was in... Okay. It was in the talk about, you know, the same memory as where, when Moira escaped... Um, I'm just going to read it out of the, the book here. Sure. Um, they wa- they used to watch movies that would show the old ways, how bad they were, things like that. And she describes this one. Once we had to watch a woman being slowly cut into pieces, her fingers and breasts snipped off with garden shears. And she does remember, uh, it might be later now, when she covets the shears. That might be later. Sorry cutting ahead um her, mm. her stomach yeah, slipped that. open and her intestines pulled out and my note there was jesus christ <laughs> like um so i mean that's like some pretty graphic stuff there's there's also a couple other um things in here but um i thought that might might have like been one thing that kind of came out that some people would read that and go like okay i don't want my child reading that right well okay so um the interesting thing there is, I mean, I didn't read that as people, like she was watching videos of people actually having their fingers cut off. Like, it's, it's a horror movie, basically. Oh, okay. Right? Which are probably also, like, forbidden in the aftertimes, but, you know, it's it was about, and I think they showed, like, porn films at the same time, too, right? Yeah. Like, showing, like, how depraved this former world was. And it, you don't need to 
to see people actually cutting off someone's fingers in order, if your point is that like right. this society was depraved, okay. all you have to do is say like, this is the kind of entertainment that they were consuming. Uh, see how fucked okay. up they are. Okay. I took that completely the wrong way then. That makes you feel better. <laughs> so yeah, now uh, Fred finally goes to meet with the commander uh, in his office after dark. Uh, and of course we're all eagerly awaiting the information of what the commander has summoned her for. And it is, it is shocking. It is utterly oh, shocking. I know it was, uh, I mean, the suspense was killing me. And then when it finally happened, yeah. I was flabbergasted. He wants to play Scrabble. He wants to play Scrabble. <laughs> Which, yeah, no, I was you know, kudos to Margaret Atwood. I was not expecting that. Like that. My note was not what I expected. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I meant to actually go back, um, as I read it, I didn't take a lot of note because she, she talks about the game that they played and what words she played. And afterwards I found myself thinking, I wonder if there's any importance to the words that, that she chose to play. Like if there's maybe subtle meaning about her character in the words that she played, like, um, Oh, zilch uh, was one of the ones that I remember her playing. Um, I just like, I thought maybe that's about like her emotions. Like she's emotionally empty. She has zero feelings. Her feelings are zilch. Um, And I was going to go back and look at some of the other ones, but I never did. And then when they're done, they play two games. uh, And then he just wants her to, you know, give him a quick kiss. Um, she does, but then, like, he criticizes it and says, like, no, like, you mean it. Mm-hmm. And in this moment, and this is, the way it's written is interesting because it's, it feels like it's something that she thinks about in the moment. But in fact, she's adding it to her memory of the moment as she's thinking back on the memory. Now, she mentions that a few times. Yeah. yeah. She talks about that, that that chapter is a is a recreation. It's not really exactly how it happened. Um, and so when she finds herself thinking about taking the toilet rod like Moira did mm-hmm. and smuggling it into the commander's office and killing him with it, she makes note of the fact that she she didn't actually think that at the time. It's something she thought about after as she reflected back on it. Which again, I thought was interesting, you know, is that I don't I don't see that being the way the story is gonna go, but you know, it's clear that the fact that the the commander has opened his door to her and sort of tried to create a a more social interaction between them that that she still is quite, you know, resentful of her station in life, right? Mm-hmm. And I made a note too around that time about how it doesn't seem like anybody in this this world enjoys their place in it. Yeah. Well, that's that's very much a fair point because obviously the commander is is trying to experience something that he has either stopped getting from his wife or never got from his wife. Mm-hmm. You know, he's obviously, you know, not, well, not happy. I don't think his wife is even, she's not allowed to read or write. And he's probably afraid that if he asked her to play Scrabble, she would turn him in or something like that. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I guess that's true. Like if you, if you turn to a handmaid um, for something like that, if she goes and turns you in, it's her. It's your yeah, word against hers. Exactly. Yeah, and being the commander, you're probably going to come out on on that. So, but I mean, like this guy, you I mean you think like, yeah, he's got two, he's got two women, he's got his wife, he's got another woman that he 
gets to sleep with once a month, but he doesn't seem to enjoy it at all. The wife doesn't enjoy it at all. The handmaid doesn't enjoy it at all. <laughs> you know, like it's just, they yeah. seem to have taken everything that can be enjoyed in life and just strip it down to. Right. Good job remaking society. You, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and yeah, the, like the handmaids don't get to experience like desire. The, the men don't get to experience desire with the handmaids. Uh, seems like, at least in the case of Serena and, and Fred, I assume is his name. Um, yeah. The case with them, they just don't seem to have a lot of connection. It's, it's uh, yeah. I just made a point to say, like, nobody seems happy. Except for Janine, the stupid one. <laughs> Yeah, that's the that's the less. Well, I mean, there has been research to show that um, people with like less intelligence are generally happier. I think there's been studies to show that. Maybe I just made that. Maybe up. maybe you made that up to make yourself feel better. <laughs> About why I'm so depressed all the time. <laughs> yeah. It's because I'm so smart. <laughs> because I'm such a smart guy. <laughs> uh, do you have anything else before we move on to chapter twenty four? Um, no, and I have nothing on chapter twenty four. So fill me in. Uh, what did okay. I miss? <laughs> It's mostly we're back to a, a, a night section um, of Fred is back in a room and she's she finds herself remembering this documentary that she watched as a young child. I guess her mother was watching it. And it's about this woman who, uh, by the way, it's described was married to like this terrible, terrible man. Sounds like he was probably a Nazi um, mm -hmm. who did all these terrible things. And about, you know, it, it talked about how. How she stood by him as he did all these things, but. Alfred finds herself wondering why it is that no one ever asked her if she loved the man. And I think this is this is obviously connected to the experience that she just had with the commander and this idea in the back of her mind that she might be able to improve her life via the commander, mm -hmm. even though she knows that the commander is is not a good person, would you know, likely throw her under the bus at the first opportunity. Um, and clearly she's not going to love him, but she will allow herself maybe those, those small pleasures that she might be able to get in spite of that, just because she wants them so badly. Right. So I think, you know, she's looking. Well, she's got a little bit of power, right? She's with this new situation. Yeah. She's gained a little bit of power within the household. And in the next section, she's actually going to start taking advantage of that power a little bit, mm -hmm. which I think is interesting, too. Um, moving to section 10, Soul Scrolls, which covers chapters 25 to 29. So this is where this is where the shears come in. I actually made a note. Um, she's talking about watching Serena in the garden, clipping mm -hmm. the shears and... Um, what she covets in that whole situation is the shears is the weapon. Yeah. Right. And she's already seen kind of what they can do. It feels like there's a lot of like anger and possibly violent intentions towards Serena. Mm -hmm. um, well, I didn't make that connection either between, between the shears in that reference and the shears in the movie. I kind of forgot about the, the reference to them in the movie. And I wonder with two references made to the shears there. Could like, be some they may actually, yeah. yeah, it could be um, Chekhov's shears. And so we see a few more visits with 
the commander. Mm -hmm. Each time uh, there's a few more things going on, uh, on her second visit, uh, he offers her the gift of being able to read a fashion magazine, specifically Vogue. Um, I guess he has managed to keep a uh, a little collection of old fashion magazines um, in order to entertain himself or maybe handmaids. I think um, I didn't make note of it. I don't think, but I think, you know, there's definitely a point where of Glenn realizes that she's not the first handmaid who has had this interaction with the commander. Yeah. And so he's, he's done this before. Well, and obviously the, the fashion magazines have appealed to handmaids of the past. Sorry. You're going to say, well, I don't think we've quite got there, but uh, it was the kind of Latin phrase that was right. Yeah. So she she brings that up to him, asking him like what it means, and he chuckles and laughs. He grabs an old book where schoolboys yeah. had like drawn in it, and that was a, a a fake, you know, kind of um kind of term that had been written in the book, and it was just it was a personal joke for himself and probably a few close friends. And she mm-hmm. realizes that the other handmaid must have also been in this room, heard it from him, and. Yeah you know, gotten that bit of information from him. Yeah, either from him or from browsing that book or from whatever. Yeah. So then she asked what Um, happened to her. Right, she hung herself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't actually, I didn't write any of that stuff down, so I'm glad you brought that up. Um, My my notes in this section were more sporadic because this was a period where I was, I was reading it in bed and then I would like (laughs) have to get up later to go and write the notes down and sometimes things would slip through the cracks. Yeah. There was another interesting one in this uh, this chapter I wanted to make was, uh, like, she asked for the moisturizer, right? Yeah, she does that on the third night. And then, um, but she also thinks, like, maybe she can get those bath oils, like those ones that are in the gel packs with the little, remember those old things? They were shaped like fish. You drop mm-hmm. them in the, in your bath and they'd, they'd oil up your bath. And, yep. uh, like, the way that she describes them, she describes them, like, so nostalgically. And yeah. I think at the time of writing, they were probably, like, a big thing right? They're mm-hmm. probably new and exciting and like they were cool and people had them. And I remember, you know, back in the nineties, even, um, they were all over the, you go to somebody's place. There's like a, a bowl of them in their bathroom, sitting there, these cool little gel pack things. And, and, uh, you know, it's not like they became illegal or were hard to make or anything like that, but they have kind of disappeared. And I had a nostalgic feeling for them too, simply because of the amount of time <laughs> that had passed between. Yeah. Do you miss your oily bath? Well, no, it's just like nostalgic doesn't necessarily mean miss or want again. It's just reminds me of my childhood. Although they were pretty cool. I could, I could use a couple. I think they've been replaced by bath bombs now. Yeah. Right? Bath bombs are pretty big right now. And then we, it's time for the, the ceremony and the, the great fucking again. <laughs> the fuck, the but. fucking. The fucking <laughs> What movie is that um, from? I don't know. Uh, it's some joke. But okay, things are anyway. different now. Mm-hmm. Because her relationship with the commander has changed, their interaction during this, what should be mechanical process, mm-hmm. has changed. She notes that she is sort of reacting shyly to him. He is being tender. At one point, he tries to reach out and touch her face, and she has to kind of dodge away and prevent it from happening so that, you know, Things don't look weird because mm-hmm. that's not supposed to happen. And then she even she even gives him shit about that afterwards. <laughs> like, don't do that again. And then we have a scene where she's out with uh, her friend or her her walking companion of Glenn, and they encounter 
uh, a store called Soul Scrolls, which if I read it correctly, basically what happens is people can phone in to the store and request that the machines in this store uh, read prayers for them. Is that does that sound like how what how you got what you got from it? Uh, I kind of got that maybe they have them in their houses too, but maybe I'm wrong on that. But yeah, you phone in, and then they punch out the prayers on this repeating. Yeah, and then like film. yeah, they repeat the prayer as many times as you've paid for or whatever. And then it also speaks it out in this robotic voice. Yeah, so that you don't have to do your own prayers oh, God, anymore. You can have a machine do it for you. In heaven. <laughs> yeah. That was a terrible. That was a terrible robot voice. That was a very terrible robot voice. Um, which is, it seems interesting. This idea that it's a society that's very clearly tried to take steps towards being more religious, um, <laughs> and they just kind of. But now, it to robots. one of the central points of that religion, they're like, we don't want to do this. <laughs> We're going to outsource this to robots. Yeah. So we can just go back to not praying and living our terrible lives, except for the like once a month fucking. See, but I think that that speaks loudly to how people's faiths are. As long as they're presenting it, they're fine with it. You know, mm-hmm. not there. There are a few people who are like fanatically about following all of that stuff, but for the most part, I think people just want to have that. Um, that outward appearance of yeah of being faithful but don't really want to do the work well and there is a word there's a phrase for a certain type of christian that only basically goes to church on the holidays right like easter uh christmas mass that kind of thing right and it, it this kind of thing is a little bit like that like the society the the ideal of society in this world or not world but in this area is that everyone is the kind of person that would go to church every single day, but most aren't actually like that. Most are the ones who are going to like outsource their prayers instead of doing it themselves. Right. And so while Ofren and Ofglen are at this store, um, Ofglen asks Ofred if she believes that this sort of prayer works. And it's kind of a, a, a test, a striking moment in their relationship. Well, it could be. Yeah. Like it takes of Fred off guard because if she says no, she doesn't believe. That's basically committing a crime to confess that, mm-hmm. um, and that would mean of Glenn could potentially turn her in to the eye. But on the flip side of that, if of Glenn was hoping that she would say no and she does say yes, then she wouldn't have opened up to her in the same way that she did. So it was a test to see if she had the it, same. It, I, I guess. Yeah. I guess. But the thing of it is, like, we still don't really know for sure if of Glenn was being honest there. Right. Like, it still could be that she wants to turn of Fred in. I don't think so. I don't so. think so either. It um, seems like she was sincere and open, and she really opened up afterward. And it'll be interesting to see sort of what happens with their relationship over the sort of the final hundred pages of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get to a section uh, on the past where we learn rather a lot about sort of the early days in the transition to this uh, this new society here in Gilead. The president and I believe it was Congress Cut. are all murdered. Yeah. Um, she says the president was shot and Congress was machine gunned. Um, and I think 
it was implied or stated that it was basically by Islamic terrorists. Yeah, I found that interesting because you'd think back then the the obvious target would be or like would be uh, the Russians or the communists or something. Yeah, but I mean there was there was definitely issues in in the Middle East and around Islam um, back then as well, okay. not to the to the extent that it is now. But but I did think it was interesting because it reads like it reads perfectly fine in in 2020 like yeah. it reads better than if it had been the russians right yeah and so there's this there's this basically this military takeover of the government um the the constitution is temporarily suspended um until sort of things can be worked out and then there's no sort of description about how much time passes until the next change but the next thing we see Alfred is working someplace um and her boss comes in and basically says, because um, I guess it's a room full of women working there. He says, you've all been laid off. Yeah, but before that, her, her compu card or whatever, her bank card was Yes, her bank card well. wasn't working on the way to, um, she went to stop and buy cigarettes. And her bank card wasn't working, which she thought was odd. Uh, she was trying to call in the, the to the compu card office or whatever to find out what was going on. Couldn't get through. Then she finds out. Um, she's been fired and like every, every woman has been laid off. And basically when she gets home and turns on the news, she discovers that, um, that women can no longer own property. Mm-hmm. Um, all, they yeah. can't work. They can't own property and all of their bank accounts have been transferred to their husbands. And she does call, uh, Moira. Moira comes over and they talk a little bit. Uh, Moira is going to sort of disappear into the underground, um, Benchens that in some cases, because Moira, I think at this point, we've discovered she's a lesbian. Yeah. And so obviously she doesn't have a male partner for those those funds to go through. So, you know, she mentioned how, you know, they're going to probably transfer them to some of the the the, the, the gay male couples um, that they knew. And then, you know, the, they could sneak them the money into the underground and that sort of thing. And then, you know, her husband comes home and... Is like you know it's okay everything will be fine, uh, and he talks in 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 wheeze right. It's we'll get through this we'll be fine, mm-hmm. um, but already of of Glenn is thinking like or sorry of Fred is thinking like what is this we you didn't lose anything here this isn't mm-hmm. we're not in this together because already our stations are substantially different. But I, I did think that the explanation about how that all played out was was very was interesting. Yeah, I enjoyed that, especially coming from like the last episode where I was like, How did all this happen so quickly? Yeah. I need more explanation before I can Yeah, no, it was it was really really um enlightening. And I think that's sort of the most um the most amount of information that we've gotten about the past in sort of one section. I think so, yeah. It was a it was a lot. It was, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of stuff here to, to, to cover. I don't think we can cover it all, but. Yeah. And so then after that sort of flashback is done, we have one more visit to the commander. They play chess again. Um, but on this visit, the commander asks of Fred what she wants. And I thought her information was, or sorry, her answer. <laughs> I just gave away the answer. Her answer was interesting. What she wants is information. Mm-hmm. She wants to know what's going on in the outside world, which, uh, of course, is a very valuable thing to ask for because, as we all know, information is power. Mm-hmm. 
Um, now, whether or not we can trust what she gets from the commander is another thing. Right. But, you know, at this because point, she does, it seems she does like... mention a few times that she feels more like a pet, right? And mm-hmm. would he really mm-hmm. just open up completely with her? Like, there is a certain amount of comfortableness, I think, that he feels with her. But she doesn't think that it's in, it's it comes from a place of equality at all. But yeah, it does seem like potentially at this point she has um, built up enough power in her relationship with the commander that she might be able to start like really exploiting mm-hmm. it. And it would be interesting to see whether or not you know, moving on from just general information. She might inquire about, hey, could you find out what happened to Luke or Moira uh, or or Luke, yeah. right? Sorry, um, or Moira or her daughter, um, or her daughter, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, so yeah, again, very uh, very interested in in seeing how that goes. And then we get to uh, chapter thirty, uh, which is another night section, um, in which we find out. Um, we get an anecdote about how Luke had to. It's it's when they're planning their escape. Yeah, they're gonna escape. Uh, they've got the the baby. They can't make it look like they're leaving, so they don't pack anything. But they have a cat. Yeah, they they're have supposed a to look like a day trip. Um, and yeah, they have a cat. If if, the, if they leave the cat outside, it's gonna be meowing to come in. People will know there's something wrong. Um, so Luke. If they leave the cat yeah. inside, it'll starve to death. So Luke uh, decides to. Uh, put the cat out of its misery and there i just did the same thing that she said once you decide something like that you have to make it an it um yeah yeah that's a good point i just said that put it out of its misery right yeah um yeah and i i like the this piece of language that she used there there's that's one of the things they do they force you to kill within yourself um so not only did he kill the cat but he also killed a part of himself right Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. So then, yeah, so they're they're trying to escape. I'll let you finish this one off. This is a really interesting part. Yeah, and so they do. Uh, they they start on their, their trip out. I don't think we get a lot of details about exactly what happens, but we find out that they, they're caught. They were tipped off. Apparently, they were tipped off. Yeah, the guards were tipped off. Um, we don't know by who or why. Um, and to be fair, I don't know if if she can possibly know for sure that the guards were tipped off, like I, I suspect, cause they had papers, right? Like they would have had papers, falsified um, papers. Yeah. Falsified papers. Yeah. But still like they would have hit like, like we haven't yet heard exactly how this plays out, but in my mind, it's like they get to a security checkpoint and they give them their papers and like, maybe the papers don't check out or, you know, they've been tipped off or whatever. And then at that point, that's when they try to escape. Right. Right. Um, now, it's possible that it could just be that their papers were falsified and the guards saw through the false papers. There's no, like, the guards wouldn't have gone, aha, we've been tipped off about you. So, like, it could be that, like, it's interesting that this whole idea of your neighbors um, tipping the authorities off about you stems from their own paranoia. Potentially, but then in a way of Fred's assumption that the guards were tipped off is also potentially stemming from paranoia. Mm -hmm. 
so it's it's just this this message to me of how paranoid this society is at this point and how everyone is peeking at each other from behind the blinds and waiting for someone to do something right. bad. Right. Uh, I do suspect we'll we'll find out more details uh, about the day of their attempted escape because we're it's been we've gotten little fragments around it. We've we've heard about their drive, we've heard about killing the cat before the drive, we've heard about their running through the fields. And I do think we'll get a little bit more to sort of solidify what happened there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then sort of the latter half of this chapter is about prayer. Um, we get a flashback to her in the the red school um, where all of the handmaids are being sort of taught how to properly pray. Um, pray um, for things like emptiness um, so that they can be filled up with, I guess, you know, life Mm -hmm. when they receive a child, Um, the proper posture to pray at, the proper position to put your body in when you're praying. Well, and I don't even think that the posture was, like, incredibly important. It was important to the Aunt Lydia or whatever it was. She just liked the aesthetic of it. Yeah, Is what it said in the book. And I don't think it was Aunt Lydia. I think it was one of the other aunts. Oh, okay, okay. Lydia seems to be the nicer one, and there's another aunt that's a bit more strict, but that's just... Little nitpicky thing. Okay. Um, and then there's a there's a bit about praying, sort of in the now, mm-hmm. as uh, um, of Fred sitting on her bed praying to God, and it's sort of a lot of like I, I should pray for this, but that doesn't really matter. I should pray for that, but I'm actually fine in that way. I should pray for that. Da 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 da. da. And then, kind of at the end of the prayer, it's just like, how do I how do I keep going? Mm-hmm. How do I continue to live like this? Well, I, I, yeah, I made a couple um, of notes there. Um, yeah, go ahead. She actually kind of describes how she's thinking about, she she starts thinking about the chandelier. She can't use that anymore because it's been taken out since that's how the previous one killed herself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But she does talk about using a hook. And all you'd have to do after attaching yourself would be to lean your weight forward and not fight. So she has yep. a plan. And at the very, very end, the last words of chapter 30, oh God, it's no joke. Oh God, oh God, how can I keep on living? Mm-hmm. And that actually tied together with a scene that we didn't really talk about was when she and Nick kind of locked eyes in the moonlight when she was standing up in her room and he was down in the garden. Do you right. remember that one? I do, yeah. Uh, very, um, and I think she even kind of uh, kind of ties it in with uh, like Romeo and Juliet, right? Like how they cannot be together and how he can't be Luke and you know so I'm I'm I got this sneaking suspicion that this book is heading to a tragedy. Um, yeah. I just I can't really see a good way out at this point. Um and maybe that's on purpose. Maybe maybe there'll be a twist because she has given us quite a few of those. If I was making predictions, I would say we're probably gonna see like an attempt at either escape or a reunion or or something and have her almost get there and then end up caught and you know just having to go back to where she was and you know finding out there is no way out of that life mm-hmm. that'd be my prediction but and that's just based on the fact that I know there's there there is a sequel to the book um that I don't know for sure that it contains of Fred as a character it could actually just be a sequel that takes place in the same world with new characters mm-hmm. um 
So I'm assuming that Alfred is a character in that, and uh, and that's sort of why I'm saying that I don't see it as a tragedy in the sense that she'll die, but uh, I I do agree that I don't think we're going to see a happy ending. I don't think this is a world that's terribly capable of happy endings. So is there any final thoughts that you have on this? Yeah. Uh, apologies for the last episode. Great book, really good language. And I think that might've been the only good thing I had to say last time, but now I love the story. I love the characters. Um, I love the world. I love the way that it's progressing and maybe don't love the world too much. This is a no, shitty no, I world. Love the, I love, you know what I mean? I don't love, I know what I don't, you mean. It's like, yeah, I yeah, wish yeah. I was there right now in the good old <laughs> new times. No, like uh, I, I love the way that she's created this world is I guess a, yeah. a better way to say it. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how this wraps up. Um, I feel like c- compared to Malcolm X, man, we're, we're blowing through this. This is crazy. Um, we spent like what, two months getting through Malcolm X and here we go. <laughs> boom, 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 three weeks. And we're there was done. a lot of information packed in Malcolm. There, X it was so. a longer book. It was a longer book and uh, we were going every two weeks and uh, I, fo- I found it to be like a, like a slower read too. Like you really had to like pay attention. Um, we are on Patreon. If you like what we're doing and want to support us financially, you can uh, toss us two bucks a month, five bucks a month, 10 bucks a month, 20 bucks a month, whatever you feel comfortable with. Uh, it's patreon.com slash blah, blah, blah media. That's B-L-A-H-B-L-A-H-B-L-A-H media. Uh, we don't have a way yet to offer sort of like one-time financial support. So if you just be like, eh, I kind of like you, but I don't want to give you something every month, but here's two bucks because I'm feeling feeling kind of nice this week. Uh, we don't have a way to do that yet, but hopefully when we get our website up and running, we'll have an option to do that. Um, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash band things happen. And I believe you can Gmail email us at band things at gmail.com. I should double check that. But that too. Um, I guess that's all for us this week. Um, thanks for listening. As always, uh, if you've spent some time with us, I appreciate it. You got probably better things to do with your time. Um, and that you decided to avoid those things and listen to this silly podcast. means They don't have anything better to um, do with their time, Todd. That's true. It's 2020 and uh, everyone's <laughs> staying at home and, and either we're, listening we're the, to podcasts or starting podcasts or both. We're, we're the, the egg. egg. You are the yeah. egg. <laughs> thanks for listening to the egg. <laughs> I've been Todd Sullivan. I'm Warren Barter. Uh, Until next time, go read a fucking book.